Welcome to the Gaimia Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you're listening to the pod and trust that this message encourages your heart and faith today. At GBC, we're all about partnering with God in the renewal and restoration of all things. And it's our hope that through these sermons, you'll discover the life-changing power of Jesus. If you'd like to join us in person or online or find out more, check out our website at guymerebaptist.org.au. We're going to be looking at artificial intelligence. And the reason I chose artificial intelligence as uh, the first topic uh, is uh, because for the last number of years, I've been quite fascinated with the words of the year. Uh, last year, I actually preached on uh, Collins Dictionary's word of the year, which was permacrisis. don't know if you remember that. It was a word I had never heard of, but it perfectly summed up 2022. Uh, that sense of being in permanent crisis, kind of lurching from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. Uh, and I chose Collins Dictionary not because I'm particularly fond of that dictionary over and against any other dictionary, but because I began preparing this series uh, in late November, and Collins Dictionary is the first to release their word of the year. First in, best dressed. Um, But in the end, I could have actually waited until quite late in the piece because AI kind of dominated the words of the year in a variety of different dictionaries. So the Merriam-Webster dictionary chose the word of the year to be authentic. Uh, Obviously not a new word. A word of the year does not have to be a new word, something that's added to our lexicon. But the meaning that they linked it with was related to artificial intelligence. Uh, And how do you know if something is authentic? I think some of their other kind of shortlisted words included deep fake. Uh, when an image has been altered in such a way that is very, very difficult to determine whether it is authentic, whether it is true, or whether it has been altered in some way, shape, or form. Uh, The Cambridge Dictionary chose the word hallucinate. Again, not a new word at all, but the definition that they gave to it was this, that when AI produces misinformation or when uh, when it produces misinformation, it is said to hallucinate. Uh, When it creates, fills in material with just stuff that it's made up, that's a AI hallucination. Um, The uh, Macquarie Dictionary chose cosy-libs, a term I had never heard and never really want to hear again. Apparently, it's some sort of Australian colloquialism slang for cost of living, which was fine. But their readers were spot on because their readers chose, as the word of the year, AI. All the way through, we see this kind of under, this undercurrent of artificial intelligence. It was Tracy Pride at the start of the year. I mean, I'd heard of artificial intelligence, obviously, like I've seen the Terminator. So like I, you know, like I knew that it was out there, but it really burst into kind of our popular and our white-collar world in a particularly significant way over the last year. I think ChatGPT was released kind of this time last year, a little bit earlier, uh, and uh, it was already kind of making waves then. Uh, just as kind of a, an aside, how many of you have used ChatGPT or similar over the course of this year? Well, not too many of us, a few of us though. Um, I, it's, it's not native or natural to me, obviously, uh, and so I tend to think about it far too late in the process. Uh, but uh, Vicki Sherry, I'm going to uh, dob her in, uh, once in our senior staff meeting and once at our CLT kind of retreat day, uh, we were trying to m- kind of wade our way through a bunch of information. Um, some of you participated in the soundings day that we did at the end of uh, August. We gathered around some tables after a service and had a number of questions 
questions. We had all this information, and we were trying to discern the themes that had come out. Uh, and Vicky said, why don't we just dump it into chat GPT? So she dumped it all in the chat GPT and said, what are the prominent themes? Out they came. It's like, oh yeah, those are the ones that we kind of thought about. But it took like a nanosecond. So that was embarrassing. Um, yeah, but it's like, it's a really powerful tool, isn't it? And it's actually the power of it and the intimidation factor that I think has gotten us a little bit freaked out. Um, at the start of the year or early in the year, I was part of a, um, a small conference for people who teach preaching. And one of our little discussion sessions was wrapped around preaching and AI. And I had uh, read a number of articles where the authors had actually, you know, said to ChatGPT or whatever uh, platform they were using, you write a sermon on such and such a text or such and such a theme uh, in such and such a style and, pff, and out popped a sermon. And their consensus was twofold. First of all, that they weren't great sermons. So I was like, oh, phew, <laughs> right? You know, good, I'm not redundant immediately. But their second reflection was, but it also wasn't the worst sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's not great. Uh, because as we're told, uh, ChatGBT is only going to develop and get better. How long is it going to be before it can spit out a sermon that is better than most of the things that you hear? And so we had a wonderful discussion about ChatGPT and AI and what that means for preaching and how we teach it and all sorts of stuff. It was great. At the beginning of the year at Morling College, where I teach a day a week, uh, there was an, we were inundated with all sorts of emails from the academic deans and, and whatnot about uh, how we should both be implementing, perhaps, but also policing the use of AI uh, in educational uh, practice. Uh, so I know that some students in high schools, I've spoken to nephews and nieces and their friends and whatnot, uh, and they've been encouraged to use AI in certain ways uh, for parts of their assessment tasks. Uh, we've been encouraged to think about how we might utilize that. All those sorts of things, really quite intimidating. Uh, it's, not like, um, it's not like plagiarism, right? It is, but it's harder to spot. Um, I used to be able to pick plagiarism pretty easily. I'd often think, how can someone write so well and not really fully understand the question? Oh, it's because they didn't write it. Uh, fairly easy to pick, but this is a, a whole different kind of ball game. And I think as a, as a society, I think we're kind of overwhelmed by the infinite possibilities of AI and the uncertainty about what that might lead to, right? Uh, everything from, you know, the title of this sermon, Rise of the Machines, right, where the AI becomes sentient and thinks, I don't want to serve humanity anymore and wipes us out, that classic sci-fi trope. Uh, and, and there are certain implications of that, aren't there? Uh, some significant ethical dilemmas. Uh, what would we say is sentience? And if something is sentient, is it alive? And if it's alive, does it have rights? And whoa, we're in deep water awfully quickly, aren't we? Um, on the other hand, a little bit closer to kind of um, our experience of it, one of the, I guess, the downsides or the pitfalls of AI is that we are uncertain as the users about the algorithms that are being used to generate the information, and we're also uncertain, generally speaking, of the data sets. Like, where is ChatGPT getting this stuff? when I ask it to create a sermon on AI and whatnot, where is it gathering that? I mean, who else has preached these things? And if it's just using the internet, I don't know about you, the internet's full of a bunch of rubbish. So what's the data set? What are the algorithms? How do we make sure that there's the bias that is involved is at least um, shown to be authentic, or at least there's some transparency around that, right? Uh, and then we just have the simple challenges, right, around 
um, the uncertainty and the risks of what this might include. I know that there are a number of jobs that are very, very quickly becoming redundant uh, because of the power and the usefulness of something like AI. So we have this really powerful tool a tool that can be used for good and a tool that can probably be used for ill, right? Because that's the way these sorts of tools work. And there's all sorts of ways that I suppose we could have tackled this or I could have tackled this this morning. I think the ethical dilemmas uh, surrounding AI, the uncertainty of some of the back-end components of AI are fairly interesting. But I thought to myself, well, if, 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 if I'm wanting to think about this from the perspective of faith, I really want to kind of walk away with something that can help me navigate my engagement with and use of AI. What, what do I do with that? And so I thought instead of uh, referring to uh, theologians and Christian philosophers who have done a great deal of thinking about the ethical frameworks and the theological presuppositions behind AI and all those sorts of things, I thought, what does the Bible have to say about AI? I didn't ask ChatGPT, but I did Google search. And apparently there are two verses that some people say predict AI, one in Daniel and one in Revelation. Not convinced that I agree. Uh, and also, it's not helpful even if it's true. It doesn't help me navigate what I face. It just tells me that, well, God knew. And I already knew that God knew, right? So the, what, what do I do with it? And so I'd actually like to kind of move in a slightly different direction, away from the apocalyptic prophetic genres, and into the usefulness of Proverbs. Now, so if you have your Bibles with you on your phone, or you got one in your hand, turn to Proverbs 17.7. It's the proverb that I want to reflect on a little bit. I thought, so what, what do we do with AI? What's, what, the, what are the things that we need to be thinking about? And which of these Proverbs, which are designed, of course, to be used? Proverbs are short pithy statements of generalized truth, right? They're rules of thumb that help us navigate the world. That's their value. They don't answer every question. They don't get into all the detail. They're generally two lines long, like there's limits to how much they can say, but they're really helpful rules of thumb to help us navigate the world in which God has made. And so I was struck by Proverbs 17, verse Seven. I'll read it a few times. It won't take that long to read, so I'll read it a few times. And hopefully by the end of today, you'll at least have it kind of in your head a little bit. But uh, Proverbs 17, 7 reads this way. Eloquent lips are unsuited to a godless fool. How much worse, lying lips to a ruler. Let me read it again in its entirety. Eloquent lips are unsuited to a godless fool. How much worse, lying lips to a ruler. Now, when we're dealing with Proverbs, uh, because they are short, pithy statements of generalized truth, rules of thumb for how we ought to navigate our world, one of the key interpretational questions to ask is, when and how would we use this proverb? When and how would we use this proverb? That, that's the, kind of the key question out of this. And I do believe that this proverb has a couple of invitations for us about how we navigate a world filled with artificial intelligence and only going to increase. But in order to kind of get there, I'd like to explore the proverb a little bit, to kind of play around with it a bit, so to speak, to try to ask ourselves, what is it about this proverb that, or what does this proverb tell us about the way in which God has made the world? 
Because here's the, the brilliant thing about Proverbs, at least biblical Proverbs. Uh, they are not given to us by angels. There's no thus saith the Lord before or after these Proverbs. They are the observations of people who have looked at the world God has made, not just the material world of rocks and trees and birds and bees, but the moral universe. And they've looked at the moral universe and they've gone, you know what? People who live in this particular way seem to do pretty well for themselves. And people who live this way don't. This is the pattern of God's world. So what is it about this statement? That what does it tell us about the world that God has made and how we are to navigate it? So here it is. Well, let me read it a third time because I can. Eloquent lips are unsuited to a godless fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler. So what we have here are two mismatched pairs in an escalating scale of impact. An eloquent fool is not good. That's a poor match. You have eloquence, the ability to persuade, the uh, ability to move, the ability to uh, kind of take people in a particular direction matched with someone who is a fool. That's a poor match. Uh, and then you have an even worse match, which is lying lips with someone with great authority. And their authority, their power, their influence increases and multiplies the ruin that their lies create. And we know this to be true, don't we? Uh, the scandals that hit our national news are very rarely low level, right? If there's a banking scandal, it's not, it doesn't hit the national news because a local branch in Kirui had two junior people who did something dodgy. That's bad. It impacts a group of people. The scandals that we hear about are when the CEO or the board or the upper management make decisions that have an enormous impact. It's the same with politicians, right? Uh, we hear about it at the upper levels. The influence and power multiplies the ruin. So this is the observation that this proverb makes, that you, if you have an eloquent fool or a lying ruler, both of those are really bad, but if you had to choose, go with the eloquent fool because that's slightly less ruinous than a lying ruler. You with me so far? Now, let me just remind you about what a fool is in the Bible. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, uh, the fools are not people who are, you know, intellectually, uh, you know, behind or backward, people who aren't particularly bright. A fool in Scripture is someone who looks at the world that God has made, and instead of asking themselves, I wonder how God made this world and how I then ought to live in it, and says, I'm going to figure it out on my own. The number one or quality of a fool, according to Proverbs, is an unwillingness to accept correction or rebuke. I will do it my way because I know what's best. Yes, but ah, you are a fool. So if you want to know whether you are on the way to being wise or on the way to being a fool, how do you respond when someone corrects you? That will let you know on the direction that you're heading. So a fool is someone who is purposely, has purposely decided to live in a way opposed to the things of God serving their own self-interests. And the way of the fool, because it is not a wise way, inevitably leads to death. 
The way of wisdom, the way of God's way in God's world leads to life. The way of the fool leads to death. So here's where we have, shall I say, the problem that this, that this proverb identifies. Because an eloquent fool doesn't sound like a fool. Because they're eloquent. I mean, no fool, <clears throat> if they're eloquent, gets up and says, hey everybody, I'm a fool. The way that I'm proposing will ultimately lead to death. It is not particularly wise, it is not godly, Given that, I would like to nonetheless present my case. What happens is they speak in such eloquent, persuasive ways that we trust them because of the way in which they present. Uh, we are moved by the order and the logic and the reasoning and the rationale behind what they have to say, and we are stirred in our hearts to want to do what they say. There's eloquence, but we, what's hidden behind it is that there may be a fool behind it. Likewise, when someone in authority tells us something, even though our trust in those in authority has continued to decline, I think generally speaking, we are willing to trust someone in authority. There's a sense that they are in authority and therefore there's a trustworthiness to it, which is part of the reason why it's such a horrible mismatch if they're not. We want them to be voice of authority and we know that if someone is continually untrustworthy, continually deceitful, continually lying, it is very, very difficult without some fairly extreme behavior to hold on to authority, isn't it? So we give people the benefit of the doubt. But behind the statement of this person in authority, there may be, in fact, a lie. How do we pick it? How do we pick it? And here's where I think this proverb can begin to be used in our day-to-day -day lives. Because it's not meant, I think, to be a, um, a descriptor. You know, to look at someone who's a fool, who's very persuasive, and say, ah, yes, look, an eloquent fool, that's a bad match. Look at me, I noticed. It's actually, I think, an invitation for us to not be swept away immediately by eloquence or authority. To not simply hear the eloquent statement and go, oh, wow, that's it. I need to do that, I need to believe that. To actually buy ourselves a little bit of time in order to discern the character behind the content. Which is very difficult in our day and age, isn't it? You ever, you ever see something on Facebook or Instagram and you want to try to find it the next day? Good luck to you. It is gone. Uh, everything moves so quickly. How do we buy ourselves a little bit of time? We listen to something that sounds really persuasive. We're like, that is obviously true. It is authentic. It is not a hallucination. It is not a deep fake. Look at it. It's just shining and it's glorious. Oh, wait. How do we buy ourselves a little bit of time to be discerning? It's a big question, isn't it? Because there's a lot of stuff in our world. And AI only, shall I say, makes it worse, doesn't it? Just can generate instantly so much. And we are left to try to ask ourselves, what's true here? And that's a very difficult question. Not just because I think in our day and age, truth is contested, but simply because we often don't know the character 
of the one who is speaking. It's just hard to discern that. But I think we need to try to buy ourselves a little bit of time. But there is another clue in this proverb about uh, what we can do to discern. Because one of the things that, that Proverbs is very clear about is that the way of the fool leads to death. Like it leads to death. And so there's an opportunity, shall I say, to apply a second proverb, one that you might have heard on the lips of Jesus, by their fruit, you will know them. By their fruit, you will know them. But the thing about fruit is it takes a little time to develop, or so I hear. I've already made well known my horticultural failures and inability to make anything grow. But fruit takes time, doesn't it? Uh, if you showed me a random tree in the spring and said, what kind of fruit does that bear? Mm -hmm. Beats me. I'm going to need a little bit of time until I see the beginnings of the fruit and go, oh, it's a pear tree. And there's a partridge, right? I, that's what I'm going to have to deal with, right? We need to discern the character behind the words, not just be swept away by the eloquence or by the power and the authority to actually buy ourselves just enough time to figure out what's the character and how do you understand the character? Where does this lead? What is the trajectory to which it ends up? We might say, I suppose, that if we're thinking about AI as a powerful tool, we need to somehow allow ourselves to discern the character behind it, the, the, the bias behind it, and to do so, we just need to give ourselves a little bit of space to not immediately jump on and say, yes. A number of years ago, the word of the year was post-truth, and I uh, read a book on post-truth, and the thing about the post-truth world we live in is that truth is now connected very strongly to our emotions, so it's what I want to be true that becomes true for me, right? Uh, and, and I've experienced this. I'm sure you have as well. You'll scroll through Facebook or Instagram, or I'll see something on the internet or whatnot, and I want it to be true, Right? I want that trade to have happened between my hockey team and that hockey team. I want that politician to, to get some egg on his face. Like I want something to be true, and I read it, and I kind of go, ooh, I want that to be true. Which has become for me a trigger to go, I bet that's not. <laughs> and to do a little bit of digging, to do a little bit of checking, to just find out whether or not what I hope to be true is true or is not. Just a little bit. You probably all received those texts, right? Uh, what's, the, what's the last one I received? Um, oh, yes. Uh, your uh, linked toll pass uh, is out of date. Uh, you need to update your things. Click this link now. And the first time I got one, I was like, that sounds like, I don't know, demerits or uh, it could be really expensive. I'm going to, wait a minute, <laughs> right? I hope you've all learned, never click the link. So I asked my wife, hey, do we still pay that? Is this out of date? No, we're all good. I'm like, yeah, fine. What was the secret to discerning the truth? Not pressing the link right away. Just paying, just giving a little bit of time. And I think this proverb does give us a little bit of an invitation to that kind of a lifestyle as we navigate a world with artificial intelligence. To just pause 
and seek to discern the character behind the content based, if we can, on the fruitfulness or the direction that that content urges us to. I'll tell you now, in the biblical world, an eloquent fool would very eloquently and persuasively advise us to live in ways that are not in line with God's will. And that's how you'd pick it. Not on how eloquent it was, but on the character behind it. At the same time, if I can just flip it for us, it's also an invitation for us to consider this in our own worlds. Generative AI is uh, useless, sorry, not useless, let me get it right, is unsuited to a godless fool. How much worse, misinformation on the lips of a ruler. We need to be people who do not rely merely on eloquence or on our authority to get things done. We need to be people who are eloquent or powerful, but not fools or liars. It's a reminder that that's the way in which God's world works. So our own use of AI in whatever field that we may find ourselves in needs to be guided by the same principles that we consider. But I think ultimately, when I was thinking through what it means for us to grapple with a world in which AI is more and more prevalent, more and more prominent, more and more everywhere, more and more problematic, and more and more useful, it seemed to me that what I would like most is a little bit more discernment. I would love to have some sort of, you know, um, fibometer, Right? That would just kind of, you know, I could hold it over my phone, it would go, and you go, okay, I'm just going to put that down. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be an app I think we'd all download, even if the link was dodgy, right? Like just something to kind of go, this will definitively tell you whether this is good or not. We don't have that yet. Ultimately, what I need, if I'm going to live in the ways, of, in, the ways in which God has made this world, is to be discerning and diligent. To be discerning and diligent rather than fearful in which I will not listen to anything for fear that it may be from a fool or from someone who is lying to me, nor should I be uncritical where I'm simply accepting whatever is said to me because it is super eloquent or said with authority and influence. Ultimately, I think AI invites each of us to be discerning, to be a little bit more diligent in the way in which we try to give ourselves some space to judge the character behind the things that we're Now, there's lots more to say about AI. I'm sure some of you came here thinking to yourself, I thought he was going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and he talked about D. I'm sorry. Uh, That's generative AI for you. Uh, But I hope that that's at least a helpful framework to consider as we engage the world of social media deep fakes and influencers and advertising and marketing and all the things that we engage with in our world, to be discerning and diligent in the midst of it. Because, as Scripture says, Eloquent lips are unsuited to a godless fool, how much worse, lying lips to a ruler. Let us be discerning as the people of God. I'm going to invite the team up. Uh, They're going to lead us in a closing song of uh, praise. And as they join me, would you join me as we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the world in which we live. It's a pretty amazing place. And some of the things that uh, we have created uh, are pretty amazing. Generative AI being just one of the many things. And yet in so many places, in so many ways, we need to be a people of discernment. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might shape in us a more discerning heart and mind.
Not just that we might pause and be careful about links that we click and things that we believe on social media feeds, but that we might be those who look quite seriously and significantly through the words and through the authority to ask about the character, to ask about the outcomes, to consider carefully the direction that these words might lead us, and that ultimately we might be guided to live in ways that are honoring and pleasing to you, that we might be people who promote righteousness that we might be people who are discreet, that we might be people who uh, do not seek after ill-gotten gain, that we are moral people, that we are people who seek to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be discerning. Keep us from being both fearful and uncritical as we navigate a very complicated world. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast. We hope you found inspiration and encouragement and God used this message to speak to you. If you want to connect more with GBC, you can follow us on social media or contact us via our website. You can also get to know some of the people from our church community through the We Are The Church podcast. Real stories of real people sharing how Jesus has shaped and transformed their life. We pray you experience the transforming power of Jesus in your life and pray that God blesses you today. Amen.